Chapter 11, Reporting Child Abuse and Maltreatment Overview of Reporting Child Abuse As previously stated, mandated reporters fail to report child abuse and maltreatment because they feel they cannot identify abuse correctly and they feel they do not know the correct procedures for reporting. Additionally, people sometimes fear that reporting child abuse or maltreatment will destroy a family. The truth, however, is that reporting should lead to getting help for the family by protecting the child from further suffering and harm and by assisting the family in facing and overcoming its problems. Professionals can all help end child abuse by their efforts to become more aware of the signs of child abuse and maltreatment and reporting suspected cases. As mentioned previously, more than one-half, 56.3% of all reports made to Child Protective Services agencies came from professionals who came in contact with the child as part of their professional responsibilities. In 2006, the three most common sources of reports were from professionals and teachers, lawyers or police officers, and social services staff. Many people in these professions are required by law to report suspected abuse or neglect. Non-professionals submitted almost 44% of reports. These reports were made by parents, relatives, friends, and neighbors, alleged victims, alleged perpetrators, anonymous callers, and other sources, which may include clergy members, sports coaches, camp counselors, bystanders, volunteers, and foster siblings. The three largest groups of non-professional reporters were anonymous, other, and other relatives. It is important for everyone to know the signs that may indicate maltreatment and how to report it. We all share a responsibility to help keep children safe as we take steps to prevent abuse from occurring in the first place. Professionals Mandated to Report New York State has identified select professionals who bring specific skills to the process to be in the very important role of mandated reporter of child abuse or maltreatment. The complete current list can be found in Section 413 of the New York State Social Services Law and were reviewed earlier in the first chapter of this course. The Role of the Mandated Reporter by identifying certain professionals as mandated reporters of child abuse and maltreatment, the State of New York is attempting to ensure that this select group of individuals will do so as part of their professional responsibilities. The role of the mandated reporter is to report suspected incidents of child abuse or maltreatment or neglect while acting in their professional capacity. When a mandated reporter has reasonable cause to suspect that a child whom the reporter sees in his or her professional or official capacity is abused or maltreated, the professional must report the abuse, maltreatment, or neglect. Additionally, a mandated reporter must report when he or she has reasonable cause to suspect that a child is abused or maltreated, where the parent or person legally responsible for the child comes before them in his or her professional or official capacity, and states from personal knowledge facts, conditions, or circumstances which, if correct, would render the child abused or maltreated. Reflecting changes to the child abuse reporting laws, which came into effect on July 3, 2007, whenever a mandated reporter suspects child abuse or maltreatment while acting in her or his professional capacity as a staff member of a medical or other public or private institution, school, facility, or agency, 
He or she must report the child abuse personally as required by law and then immediately notify the person in charge of that school, facility, institution, or his or her designated agent that a report was made. The mandated reporter must include, to the best of the reporter's ability, the names, titles, and contact information for each staff person in the institution who has direct knowledge of the allegations in the report. The law does not require more than one report from the institution, school, facility, or agency on any one incident of suspected abuse or maltreatment. The person in charge of the institution, school, facility, or agency, or the designated agent is then responsible for all subsequent administrative actions in support of the report. The 2007 changes made by the New York State Legislature clarified that reporting internally to the person in charge does not discharge the mandated reporter's obligation to report to the state central register. Additionally, the revised law states that any person in charge of a medical or other public or private institution, school, facility, or agency may not prevent the staff member, who is a mandated reporter, from making the report. The revised law specifically states that no retaliatory personnel actions can be taken against mandated reporters by the institution. Additionally, the 2007 revision to the law stated that no school, school official, child care provider, foster care provider, residential care facility provider, hospital, medical institution provider, or mental health facility provider may impose additional conditions about reporting, such as prior approval or prior notification, upon any staff members who are mandated reporters of child abuse and maltreatment. Also in 2007, Chapter 513 of the Laws of 2007, also known as Ecstasy's Law, amended Section 413 of the Social Services Law. Mandated reporters' responsibility to report applies when a child, parent, guardian, custodian, other person legally responsible for the child, or any other person appearing before the social services worker comes before the mandated reporter in his or her professional or official capacity and states facts, conditions, or circumstances based on personal knowledge sufficient to give the social services worker a reasonable cause to suspect child abuse or maltreatment. This change only affects social services workers. The reporting standard did not change for other mandated reporters. Social services workers are identified by OCFS as the following. 1. Professional and paraprofessional staff of local social services districts. This would include child welfare staff, all professional and paraprofessional local district staff, regardless of their function or area of responsibility, who provide services to children and or families. For example, public assistance staff, adult protective services workers, and Medicaid staff would be included. 2. Professional and paraprofessional staff that provide services to children and or families, who work for organizations or entities that have contracts, as well as individuals who have contracts or subcontracts, with local social services districts, as well as providing services related to foster care, adoption, or preventative services. 3. OCFS regional office staff that have responsibilities for inspections or investigation of complaints at residential facilities and daycare programs, other than those staff whose sole responsibility is to inspect facilities and investigate complaints related to physical plant or building safety issues. Reasonable cause to suspect. Certainty is not required. 
Do you, as a mandated reporter, have to be certain that abuse, maltreatment, or neglect has actually occurred? Do you need to have proof before you report your suspicions? In New York State, a mandated reporter can have reasonable cause to suspect that a child is abused or maltreated if, considering what physical evidence he or she observes or is told about, and from his or her own training and experience, it is possible that the injury or condition was caused by non-accidental means. The mandated reporter need not be absolutely certain that the injury or condition was caused by neglect or by non-accidental means. The reporter should only be able to entertain the possibility that it could have been neglect or non-accidental in order to possess the necessary reasonable cause. The mandated reporter does not have to prove the abuse or maltreatment. It is enough for the mandated reporter to be suspicious, to distrust or doubt what he or she personally observes or is told. Many factors can and should be considered in the formation of that doubt or distrust in potential abuse cases. Physical and behavioral indicators are helpful in forming a reasonable basis of suspicion. Although these indicators are not diagnostic criteria of child abuse, neglect, or maltreatment, they illustrate important patterns that may be recorded in the written report when relevant. Reasonable cause. When to report. Let's review the eight case studies in relation to reporting of suspected child abuse. Case number one, you remember, was Corey. Does the emergency department physician have reasonable cause to suspect that Corey has been abused? Should a report be made? The emergency department physician was given conflicting information about how Corey was injured. The EMS personnel reported that Corey had been hit with a softball during practice. Corey reports he was beat up. Corey seems so distressed by his father's presence, and the father is very angry at Corey and humiliates him despite the boy's injury and pain. Corey's father seems to have particular anger towards what he perceives as Corey's shortcomings. As the emergency department physician... You report Corey to the SCR. Case number two, Juanita. As the family nurse practitioner who knows this family well, you decide to ask mother and daughter about what happened that upset them both so much. Mom does not respond, but Juanita blurts out that she stole some nail polish and lipstick from the drugstore and her mother found out once they got home. Mom uses corporal punishment in dealing with Juanita and she slapped the girl across the face as well as grabbed her arm rather roughly. She ordered Juanita to take the items back to the store and to apologize to the clerk at the store. Juanita, although initially minimizing her actions, began to feel guilt and remorse for her actions. She was still recovering from the incident that had occurred earlier today. After Juanita confessed her crime to the nurse practitioner, Mom confirmed the story and talked about how upset she was that her daughter had stolen from the store. She was angry because she is a religious woman who lives by a strict moral code and feels betrayed by her daughter for not also living up to the values she thought she had instilled in her daughter. As the nurse practitioner, you believe the explanation that the mother and daughter provided you, and you encourage them to continue to talk about the incident with each other. You decide this is not a case of potential abuse, and you do not report this to the SCR. Case number three, Sam. As Sam's teacher and a mandated reporter, do you have reason to suspect that Sam may be the victim of both neglect and abuse in his home? Sam is often not dressed appropriately for the weather. He is teased by his classmates, largely for his nervousness, anxiety, and poor eye contact. His injured ankle has not been treated, even though you sent a note home almost two weeks ago. 
You decide that you do indeed suspect neglect and possible abuse. You talk to your principal about making a report for neglect and request that the family be evaluated for possible abuse as well. Case number four, Alicia and Martin. As the visiting nurse, you recognize the obvious signs of neglect in Alicia and the signs of abuse and neglect in Martin. You call the CSR and discuss the immediacy of the need for safety and services i.e., this is the first time you've been in the house in six weeks, there is a history of cocaine use, Alicia has lost a significant amount of weight, and there is no formula or food in the house. Martin has been abused multiple times and is fearful of adults. You request that immediate action be taken. It is your belief that the children are not safe in the home at this time. Case number five, Tisha. As the family nurse practitioner in the primary care practice, you must report Tisha to the SCR. A child as young as Tisha, only five years old, a positive lab test for syphilis, is a strong indication that the child is being sexually abused. You report the positive result to Tisha's mother, who becomes tearful and angry and agrees to cooperate with the report because she fears that Tisha has been sexually abused and is very upset that she has not been able to keep her daughter safe. She wants to find out how this could have happened. Case number six, Leah and Tisha. Does the clinical social worker have a legal obligation to report what the patient, Leah, has told her? The clinical social worker hasn't been treating Tisha. Rather, it is Leah who is her patient. Is the social worker required to make a report to the state central register? Yes. As stated previously, a mandated reporter must report when he or she has reasonable cause to suspect that a child is abused or maltreated where the parent or person legally responsible for the child comes before them in his or her professional or official capacity and states from personal knowledge, facts, conditions, or circumstances which, if correct, would render the child abused or maltreated. The therapist is in contact with Leah because Leah has sought out the professional services. Leah lives in the home with her husband and with Tisha. If what Leah saw was true, then it is reasonable to suspect that abuse may be occurring. The clinical social worker may want to work with Leah to assist her to make the report, but this does not take the place of the requirement for the clinical social worker as mandated reporter to report her suspicions of sexual abuse. Case number seven, Marcus, Amber, and Isaiah. The school nurse meets with the teachers of the Shaw children, requesting their perspectives on whether or not the Shaw children are neglected. She learns that they rarely miss school. Amber and Isaiah are average students, but Marcus is in gifted classes. There's never been any suspicion on the part of the teachers that there may be any abuse in the family. Given what the Shaw children have told the nurse, as well as the teacher's reports, the nurse decides to refer the Shaw children for the school breakfast and lunch programs, seeing this as a financial issue, not a case of neglect. The nurse does not report the Shaw children to the SCR, but refers them and their family to the social service office for other potential entitlements. Case number eight, Tim. As the nurse for this residential treatment center and a mandated reporter, Jean knows that she has a legal obligation to report her suspicions of child abuse. This legal requirement overrides any loyalty she may feel towards her employer. She also recognizes that reporting may put her job in jeopardy since the employer has investigated and does not believe the allegations of abuse. Given what Tim has told her, the bloody underwear, and her own discomfort and suspicions when observing staff and client interactions, 
Jean knows that she has a legal obligation to report. Ethically and professionally, she also recognizes that she must report, despite whatever ramifications there may be from her employer. Despite the internal investigation that was conducted by the employer, Jean still has a legal responsibility to report her suspicions of sexual abuse. Additionally, the 2007 changes to the child abuse reporting laws also protect the mandated reporter from retaliation for reporting from the employing agency. How to Report Suspicion of child abuse and maltreatment or neglect must be immediately reported by telephone at any time of the day, seven days per week. A written report must be filed within 48 hours of the oral report. Oral telephone reports should be made to the New York State Central Register of Child Abuse and Maltreatment, SCR, by calling the statewide toll-free telephone number for mandated reporters. The mandated reporter express line is 1-800-635-1522. For the general public, it's 1-800-342-3720. And outside New York State, one 518 474-8740. Outside of New York State or nationally. If you suspect that a child is being abused or maltreated or neglected, you should call your local Child Protective Services, CPS agency, or the CPS agency in the state in which the abuse occurred. As you identify the appropriate agency for making a report, remember the following. Not every state has a toll-free hotline, or the hotline may not operate on a 24-hour basis. If a toll-free 800 or 888 number is available, it may be accessible only from within that state. Federal agencies have no authority to intervene in individual child abuse and neglect cases. Each state has its own procedure for reporting child abuse. A listing of phone numbers for the states that have them is available within the Child Abuse Online course on the Access Continuing Education website. Please see the section on reporting of child abuse for a listing of state phone numbers. If a number is not listed or you need to report suspected abuse in a state other than your own, please call Child Help USA National Child Abuse Hotline at 1-800-4-A-CHILD. That's 1-800-422-4453. TDD, 1-800-2-A-CHILD. Child Help USA is a nonprofit agency which can provide reporting numbers and has hotline counselors who can provide referrals. Telephone Reporting Mandated reporters can prepare themselves to make the report by compiling information needed for the report. While having all of the information needed would be ideal, the mandated reporter should not wait to report just because some of the information is missing. To the extent possible, when calling to report child abuse or maltreatment or neglect, attempt to provide the following information. Information that must be included in the telephone report. The names and addresses of the child and his or her parents or other person responsible for his or her care. The child's age, gender, and race. The nature and extent of the child's injuries, abuse, or maltreatment or neglect, including any evidence of prior injuries, abuse, or maltreatment of the child or his or her siblings. Is the child at risk for harm? How? The name of the person or persons responsible for causing the injury, abuse, or maltreatment or neglect. And family composition. Where is the child now? Where are siblings now? The source of the report. 
the person making the report, and where he or she can be reached. The actions taken by the reporting source, including the taking of photographs or x-rays, removal or keeping of the child, or notifying the medical examiner or coroner. And any additional information that might be helpful. For example, are there special needs or medications? What are they? Are there concerns for local CPS, such as weapons or drugs, in the home? Written Report The written report is made on Form LDSS-2221A. The written report can be accessed online at www.ocfs.state.ny.us slash main slash cps. The written report, signed by the reporter, must be filed with the Local Child Protective Service, CPS, within 48 hours of the oral report. You may request the address of the investigative district from the Child Protective Specialist at the time you make the oral report to the State Central Register of Child Abuse and Maltreatment. A written report that involves a child who is in foster care or in residential care should be submitted to the New York State Child Abuse and Maltreatment Register, 40 North Pearl Street, Albany, New York, 12243. Mandated reporters may wish to maintain additional careful notes for their own personal records, noting important information such as dates, times, places, names of individuals involved in any aspect of the case. The written report can be assessed at the World Wide Web www.ocfs.state.ny.us slash main, M-A-I-N, slash C-P-S. For the purpose of reported suspected cases of child abuse and maltreatment or neglect to the SCR and CPS, it is important to understand the definition of who can be the subject of the report. The subject of the report means any parent, guardian, custodian, or other person 18 years of age or older who is legally responsible for a child reported to the SCR, and who is allegedly responsible for causing or allowing the infliction of injury, abuse, or maltreatment or neglect of such child, the operator of, employee of, or volunteer in a home operated or supervised by an authorized agency, the Division for Youth, or an office of the Department of Mental Hygiene, or a family daycare home, daycare center, group family daycare home, or a day services program, and who is allegedly responsible for causing or allowing the infliction of injury, abuse, or maltreatment or neglect to a child who is reported to the SCR. Abuse and maltreatment or neglect can certainly be caused by persons other than parents or the person who is legally responsible for the child's care, such as neighbors or strangers. Such individuals might not fit the legal definition of the subject of the report. In these cases, it is the law enforcement authorities that should be contacted directly. If a mandated reporter calls the SCR in a situation in which the person allegedly responsible for the abuse or maltreatment or neglect cannot be the subject of a report, and if the SCR believes that the alleged acts or circumstances described by the mandated reporter may constitute a crime or an immediate threat to the child's health or safety, the SCR is required by law to transmit the information contained in the call to the appropriate law enforcement agency, district attorney, or other public official empowered to provide necessary aid or assistance. What happens after a report is made? 
After taking the report of child abuse or maltreatment or neglect from a mandated reporter, staff at the SCR, based on the information provided, will make a determination if the report is to be registered and investigated by the local Child Protective Service, CPS, if it will be referred to law enforcement, or if the report is not registered. The New York State Central Register of Child Abuse and Maltreatment, the Child Abuse Reporting Hotline, in 2008 received 163,808 reports of suspected child abuse or neglect involving 216,267 children. The CPS unit of the local Department of Social Services is required to begin an investigation of each report within 24 hours. The investigation should include an evaluation of the safety of the child named in the report and any other children in the home, and a determination of the risk to the children if they continue to remain in the home. In 2008, upon investigation, 51,830 reports were substantiated as situations of child abuse and or neglect. There are more victims than reports because more than one child is involved in some cases. Compared to the prior year, 2007, the number of reports increased from 154,837. The number of substantiated reports increased from 51,839. And the number of victims increased from 76,014. CPS may take a child into protective custody if it is necessary for the protection from further abuse or maltreatment. Based upon an assessment of the circumstances, CPS may offer the family appropriate services. The CPS caseworker has the obligation and authority to petition the family court to mandate services when they are necessary for the care and protection of a child. After conducting interviews with family members, the alleged child victim, and sometimes other people familiar with the family, the CPS agency makes a determination concerning whether the child is a victim of abuse or neglect or is at risk of abuse or neglect. This determination is often called a disposition. Approximately 30% of the reports included at least one child who was found to be a victim of abuse or neglect. About 58% of the reports were found to be unsubstantiated. The remaining reports were closed for additional reasons. CPS has 60 days after receiving the report to determine whether the report is indicated or unfounded. The law requires CPS to provide written notice to the parents or other subjects of the report concerning the rights accorded them by the New York State Department of Social Services law. The CPS investigator will also inform the SCR of the determination of the investigation. The SCR may refer the report to law enforcement. This may occur if the subject of the report is not someone who meets the legal definition. The perpetrator of the abuse may not be someone who has the legal responsibility for the child. In such cases, referrals to law enforcement agencies are made in order to execute the appropriate legal action. There are situations in which both law enforcement and the CPS will be involved, depending on who is the subject of the report and the nature of the injury and if any crimes have been committed. In some cases, perhaps such as in case number two of Juanita, if the nurse practitioner has decided to report the family to the SCR, the report may not have been taken by the SCR staff. This may occur when there is information provided by the mandated reporter that indicates a more appropriate intervention would be family resolution or referral to a community resource.